Backpack Broadcasting continues to bring you the best original sports content, but now you can get more of the content you love. For as little as $3 a month, you can get access to bonus content, including behind-the-scenes footage and interviews from the Sports Walk, Sideline Stories, or the Ain't Hard to Tell podcast. All this exclusive content comes via Patreon. There are tiered levels of patronage, and each Backpack Broadcasting patron receives exclusive perks. Your support helps Backpack Broadcasting create more of the original content that you love. Visit Backpack Broadcasting's Patreon page and become a patron today. Hard to Tell Podcast, episode 165. We continue with Black History Month. And if you're watching this podcast, you will see, got the Grenada shirt on, Grenada flag behind me the day we're recording this podcast. Happy 47th Independence Day to the great nation, great island of Grenada. Mm. Keep it strong and black. Uh, Mm. Definitely happy to celebrate that with my people. Shout out to all my Grenadians out there. Brian, how are you doing? We just came off of a very interesting weekend in uh, your life, which includes a video game experience that we will get to on another podcast. And the Super Bowl was this past weekend. That uh, was not interesting. It was not. We'll, we'll, we'll get to that. But, um, that was not yeah, interesting. For Black History Month, I have a, a Nas hoodie. A Nas a quote. Uh, Astrid actually got this for my birthday, so appreciate it for that. Well um, done. Well done, Astrid. Well done. Yeah, so what was I going to say? Yo, you know, yeah. we got it. You know, we got People can't see the hoodie. It says Ether. It's the definition of Ether. The shit that makes yeah. your soul burn. So obviously, the Nas lyric from Ether. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like now what I got to do is the next time that Brian wears this hoodie, uh, I have to put on a takeover shirt and get <laughs> some lyric from that underneath it so we can have that on the show. That'd be good for whatever. Don't worry, man. Uh, no, no, no fights are going to outbreak over this or anything. But yeah. yeah, I mean, we look, we've we've made some announcements on the pod lately, so I'm just going to make another one right now. Uh, I finished The Last of Us 2 uh, this past weekend, yep, and I'm, a, I'm an emotional wreck. Like, I'm all fucked up now. But we're going to hold, we're gonna, we, we gotta hold that. We're going to hold that for a very <laughs> We're going to hold that. That, that is going to be for, for the video game players, for people who are interested in that, Last of Us people. Uh, non-Last of Us people, if you just like the podcast, or whatever, we're gonna have an entire episode just on the Last of Us two, and we're gonna have like some episodes like that to come. Uh, and one, we're gonna talk about one too. We're gonna talk about the first because actually, yeah, that's because true. you had the you had the advantage, I would say, if you want to call it that, of playing the games back to back, which I didn't. I played them seven years apart. Um, but Brian knows uh, that is my favorite game, favorite series of game. I think Brian may be close to joining that camp, or at least has it somewhere in his upper echelon of games so, now, which is good. Splinter Cell's number one. I can't. I don't know what number two is. That's kind of an open spot. I don't think anything will take down Splinter Cell two. Splinter Cell and Last of Us have had the two story modes that have moved me the most. Okay. I will say that in terms of a video game. Last of Us Part 2 especially. Part 1 was moving from the very beginning. <laughs> but Part 2 especially. That's true. Uh, Splinter Cells also had some stuff. Like, their storytelling is a little bit underrated. Especially, like, the thing is, you could argue the best story mode for Splinter Cell was the Splinter Cell Conviction, which is one of the weaker actual games. But in terms of, like, a lot of the stuff... Like the heaviness of that, like yeah, but that's another podcast for another day. Another podcast um, for another day. Speaking of weak games, the Super Bowl Fifty Five, uh, not maybe not the game everybody expected. Now, if you know Brian, Brian's talked about this and some other stuff we've done. This was a matchup. Look, we're, we're not we're going to be straight up about who we are and who we were rooting for. <laughs> this was Team Patrick Mahomes over here all day. All right. Yeah. Let's just put it like we wanted things right for Black History Month. That's what I wanted to see. Uh, unfortunately, it did not go down that way. Tom, we knew also if Tom Brady won, Brian talked about this, there was going to be all this talk about Tom Brady being the GOAT. Uh, you know, which is some talk that he is that already. That's a separate discussion. 
but now he has won. If you've been living under rock, the, the Bucks won, beat the brakes off the Kansas City Chiefs. The Chiefs didn't even score a touchdown. Crazy. Who would have thought that? The Chiefs didn't even score a touchdown in this game. And Tom Brady wins his seventh Super Bowl. I was just having a conversation with my boy, uh, who's also my workout partner, about this. And, you know, it was disappointing. There's a lot of talk around it. You can't get away from it. I didn't listen to any sports talk today surrounding football. I didn't turn on the TV to see any of that around football. You know why? Because I had enough. I had fatigue. I'm done. Like, I, I don't need to hear this all the time. Now, with that being said, Brian, that doesn't mean what I'm saying is I want to be clear to the people. That does not mean I don't think Tom Brady's great. I'm not saying that. I'm just not riding as hard as some of y'all have been riding. But I do think Tom Brady is great. I do think he deserves credit on this. I do think Todd Bowles, the defensive coordinator, deserves credit on this. Um, Tampa Bay played good. Kansas City did not. The game was not particularly entertaining uh, at all. I pretty much checked out early in the fourth quarter. And, uh, you know, what, what was your Super Bowl experience like? I, I had more fun enjoying doing some other things, including some really dope Old Bay wings that I made. But, uh, yeah, that was it. I had an assignment to write uh, something about the weekend's halftime performance, and I was disappointed. I was disappointed that uh, he didn't do Pray For Me with Kendrick Lamar. Not that Kendrick Lamar was going to be there, but I was hoping for some sort of Chadwick Boseman tribute, which we did not get um, in the first Super Bowl with him not on earth. But we didn't get that. Um, It's the NFL, NFL, man. You were expecting too much. I mean, look, we got the what the social justice commercials, you know, the one with Pete Carroll giving Geno Smith a pound at the end of the commercial to be like, we stand for, you know, equality and justice and all these things. Oh, that commercial that explained nothing. Right, like, yeah, right. Like, like the Inspire Change Just commercial. propaganda. Yeah, about... Like, yo, we're, we, we're about to fight, too. Let me show you all these images or whatever, whatever. I mean, you know. There's what the Inspire Change commercial where they talk about their pledging. I think it was $250 million or $350 million to the fight against, uh, to end racism. And I looked at that and said, okay, how are you doing that? Like, where's this money going? I want to know that. Like, seriously, I, I where's the money going? Want- I generally want to know that, too, when I see just, like, people are donating X and whatever. Like, I kind of usually want more details about things, generally speaking. Uh, but as as far as the game, I don't have much to say. I tuned out in the third quarter so much so that I went back and finished The Last of Us Part Two. Otherwise, I wouldn't be done right now because that's the majority of what I did for my Sunday. Um, during the third quarter, I just clocked out. I was like, look, I'm, like, I'm not watching this. It's boring. I don't care about football that much. To me, going in, this is the most uh, or the least interesting Super Bowl of my lifetime, just for me personally, because I wow, really? less. I'm caring less and less about football. Oh, every well, year. in that regard, okay. that's that's the only reason. I used to really like football. There were more interesting Super Bowls. I mean, this is a more interesting Super Bowl in terms of a football matchup than most of the than a lot of the others mm-hmm. going into it. But in terms of me personally, I just don't care about football in that way. That's why I really write about football, and that's why we don't even talk about football that much on this podcast. To that's be honest. right. Yeah, we don't. Because um, both of us like don't really care about football in that way. Now, as far as the game itself, I just think that, like, I expected the Tom Brady narrative to be what it is, and I have no problem with people saying he's the best quarterback ever, the best football player ever, whatever. Like, it's very hard to go against those things in terms of like accolades and accomplishments and greatness and things of that nature, and just winning. But football is a difficult sport to sort of measure when you're talking about the best professional athlete or greatest professional athlete across all sports. And that's where the conversation has taken a turn that I saw this coming. You saw this coming. Gerard and Jamal saw this coming when we sort of talked about it a little bit on the Picks and Props show with the Props Network. But for me, it's just like it's not it's not a discussion point. That's not to say that Brady's so far down the list. But like, am I really going to put him in just in my lifetime above Floyd Mayweather, Serena Williams, Amanda Nunes, Habib Nurmagomedov, Simone Biles, Michael Phelps, Usain Bolt. You know what I mean? Like, like Tiger the, Woods, the athletes, Michael Jordan, Tiger Woods, Michael jo- like LeBron. LeBron James, for that matter. Individual uh, sports and then like team sports where you can actually impact both sides of the ball. Like football, there are so many other variables that you have to worry about. Offensive line play. If he never had a good offensive line, he would have been out of the league a long time ago. If he never had a great defense to sort of bring him the Super Bowl trophy, uh, 
you know, this time and a couple other instances where he's had great defenses, he wouldn't be able to get the accolades. Like all of these external factors matter. Whereas LeBron James, he can be on the court for 42 out of 48 minutes in a game seven, play both ends of the floor because you're not just playing one side of the ball uh-huh. in basketball. Very different. And then in the other sports, it's self-explanatory. It's individual sports. And I just hold individual athletes at higher regard than team sport athletes, generally speaking, in these greatest of all time conversations. Yeah, I do, too, for the reason of what you said in terms of the people, except for like basketball and hockey and to some degree even soccer, where you're forced to play the other side and you have to play defense, you know, in the sports where you play one side. Um, even baseball, because you do get out in the field and play defense, and that matters. You know, football is one that's that one sport in that way where you're not doing both jobs. You're a specialist, and I do think that matters in the way that you look at it. One thing, you know, the, a lot of the talk will be about Brady's greatness and blah blah blah. And you can listen to other podcasts for that if you want to. Fine, no, no shade to you on that. <laughs> I did. I want to talk about the game in a social aspect that sort of bothered me. And we saw, I saw on Twitter, our boy Murph was tweeting a lot about this and I appreciated what he had to say. And look, this game was in Florida, Brian's favorite state in the world. And sarcasm for people who just tuning in for the first first time. time, (laughs) You don't know. I'd be extremely sarcastic. And this game was played in front of, I didn't even know this before, so let me be clear. I knew there was going to be fans. I actually had no idea the amount of fans that were going to be in the stadium. And obviously, it wasn't full capacity. Um, I would like to raise my hand. I'm somebody who's covered two Super Bowls. I've been to two Super Bowls. I know just how much personnel is there on top of fans at this event, very big event. Obviously, newsflash for those of you who don't know, and there's no sarcasm on the statement. We are in an age of COVID. We are in a pandemic. And the NFL thought it was good to not pack the place, but have 25,000 people in the building. And with everything going on around the Super Bowl and the halftime show that Brian had to write about and all this other stuff, the NFL was trying to show that it's okay. We're fine. We're normal. We're healthy. We had our friend of the podcast, Jay McManus, here on this podcast talking about you can't have sports until society's healthy. And I want to be clear, when I looked at that, I know everything else that's going on. And as somebody who spoke last week on this podcast about having COVID, we're not healthy. This is not a healthy society. We're still going out there wearing masks and doing all this stuff. And yet we got 25,000 people in the stadium. Did anybody look at this and say there's something fucking wrong with this? That's what I was looking at the game last night. It was like, this is kind of crazy. And... It seems like we, we know about what the NBA is talking about with the All-Star game and all this stuff. We know these leagues are doing this stuff for profit, but it doesn't mean that I, I'm not shocked by it about how they're moving because this is America and people are going to do this stuff for the dollars. But at some point, you got to look at this and be like, yo, this is crazy. Y'all want to have the game? Fine. You want to do everything you've been doing this season and not having fans in the stands in most cities? I think that should have been the same for the Super Bowl, but 25,000 people? And a lot of it, people, if you know this stuff around the Super Bowl and the major events in sports, a lot of this stuff goes to corporate sponsors and their friends yeah. and families. Those are the people who have the bulk of the tickets at the Super Bowl. And, and like 25,000 people to see the game and watch the weekend perform? Come on, man. Like, what are we doing? Yeah. In, in Tampa Bay, like in Florida of all places, which has dealt with this pandemic worse than just about anybody in America, which, you know, would translate to just about anybody in the world. And now what I'm looking for is in two months from now, WrestleMania will take place at the same venue, Raymond James Stadium. This was to be sort of the blueprint for how that will look. I don't know where we're going to be at pandemic-wise in two months from now. I don't know what the WWE is going to do in terms of fans and things of that nature. Now, they've been having Raw and SmackDown. They were originally in Orlando in the Amway Center with no fans. Um, And now they've moved to Raymond James Stadium because NBA season, Orlando has to take their arena back. And there are still no fans. There are no fans at all. AEW, which is also in Florida, uh, Jacksonville, 
they're using the Jacksonville Stadium. They have some fans, very little, but they have some that they just have to that they just have like away from the ring. Uh, NXT, which was at a full sale university, is now at the Capitol Wrestling Center, which is also in Florida. All these places are in Florida, and I guess what they call these little bubbles or whatever the case may be. Um, they have some fans, but very little, just sort of packed around, and there's like a, a glass like keeping them away from you know whatever. Um, and they're kind of socially distant from each other, although they all and they all have masks. They have to wear masks when they're there. There's not many people, but it's a very, very small venue. It's not a football stadium. So I'm just wondering, like, from here, what's going to happen with WrestleMania in two months from a sporting event, you know, sort of perspective, because that's really the next big event that's going to be at a stadium. I don't even know if fans have been confirmed, but I know that there have been reports that the WWE does want some fans there, which I do understand. But 25,000, even 10,000, this is way too much. I mean, we did, we talked about it a little bit. I don't remember if it was on the pod or we just talked about it amongst each other. But uh, you or I were, weren't crazy about like the Buffalo Bills having seven or 8,000 fans or whatever it was for their playoff game. I don't know if there's been a spike because of that. But it's probably not really in the best interests of public health, you know, to do these things at the moment because we haven't earned it as a country to Jane McManus's point that she made months ago, which is still the case now, if not more so today. I agree, man. It's a, we, we haven't earned it as a public. And it's just really scary when we're trying to sell that everything is OK. And even a lot of the commercials around the Super Bowl sort of did that, too, yesterday, which had me rolling my eyes half the time. But, you know, we're not okay. And, you know, and it, it's funny. One of my best friends in the world is is moving to Florida uh, for work. And he's moving to God Miami. Bless. He's moving to Miami. And he told oh, me. Because Miami open, boy. Yeah. Well, that's, that's what I was going to say. He told me uh, maybe about a month ago we spoke. And he's like, yo, I was down there. And I was looking, you know, he was doing some apartment hunting. And he's like, yo, from New York? To Miami, it's like a whole different world. It's a whole different world out there. He said everything is open everywhere. And he said that does concern him. Um, he has no. a really he has a really good opportunity for work, but that does concern him about being there. But it shows you in this country there can be two different places. People can't even agree on wearing masks. People can't even agree to say, yo, maybe it's not a good idea to put twenty five thousand people in a stadium. Like maybe it's not a good idea. Why? Because too many people value the almighty dollar in their mind over the health of the, the next man or woman around them. And it's, it's, it's really sad. And I think sports is sort of bringing out the you're seeing a lot of the selfishness and greed if you didn't know it was already there in this country. Yeah, the last thing I'll say about it real quickly is that I heard Peter Rosenberg say this on a podcast because that the WWE's been in Orlando, been in Tampa now. And he said that when you go to Orlando, generally speaking, everybody's masked up, taking it seriously. Like it's 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 different compared to Tampa, where like not that many people are wearing masks and not that many people are taking it seriously or whatever. And I was wondering about that because they're in Miami, from what I can tell, it doesn't seem like a lot of people are wearing masks there. Like I've, I've kind of seen like people be out in restaurants and things like that. And the only people wearing masks are you know, the uh, waiters and waitresses and things of that nature, like people just outside or people just, you know, inside clubs, whatever, like it seems pretty open. So it's pretty split. So uh, Tampa seems like a dangerous place. And uh, right now, I don't think we should be having uh, large gatherings, period, but especially there. That's interesting, considering the two cities are only about 90 minutes apart. So that's uh, that's kind of interesting that it's a different world. But look, that's one of my takes from the Super Bowl. I thought it was interesting. We saw uh, everybody acting like everything was normal, and it damn sure isn't. New podcast alert. Life coaches Marguerite Pierce and Lindsay Jackson are bringing a rich blend of laughter, love, and wisdom to their podcast, Necessity. The pod seeks to reestablish the basic tenets of self-love, self-confidence, goal accomplishment, and the ability to love life on your own terms. Necessity is available on all major podcast platforms, so grab a cup and listen up as two coaches are on a mission to shift perspective one sip at a time. Some NBA news involving a team that I've rooted for my entire life, the New York Knicks. 
pretty interesting this season. The Knicks mm-hmm. have been um, still in the playoffs. Technically, still, st- still in the playoffs. Technically, uh, I was talking with some people about the Knicks yesterday, and even today, they are eleven and fourteen at the time of us recording this podcast. Uh, it's just coming off a loss to Brian's Miami Heat, and which was a very entertaining game, and I liked the effort I saw from the Knicks on a back-to-back. But they made a trade uh, that I didn't see coming, and it's funny because I texted Brian about the trade the night before when there were some rumors about it, and I was like, nah, I don't like this. I hope they didn't do it. They don't do this. But then later that night, I thought on this some more, and I talked to a friend of mine who sort of convinced me a little bit more about how this could be good, and I thought they made pretty good points onto that. Uh, the Knicks traded to bring back Derrick Rose, reunited with Tom Thibodeau, former MVP. Now they gave up guard Dennis Smith Jr. and a 2021 second-round pick via the Charlotte Hornets to Detroit. So, you know, I mean, the way I look at it, kind of gave up nothing. Um, <laughs> I was not a fan of Dennis Smith Jr. I was never a fan of Dennis Smith Jr. coming out the tra- draft, as some of you guys were. Um, definitely worth it was not when the Knicks got him back in the trade for Chris Porzingis. I was disgusted that he was the player that was supposed to be great. And think about that, folks. It's been two years since the Knicks dealt Chris Porzingis, and the player that was supposed to be the young talent that you could put in that could give you hope. He couldn't crack Tom Thibodeau's rotation because he couldn't play defense. He wasn't playing at all, and now he is going to the Detroit Pistons with a 2021 second-round pick for a 32-year-old former MVP. Great trade. Great trade. Great trade. Well, no. we're calling it great now, okay? No, no, no. no, no. I, I was being sarcastic on the Porzingis oh. trade. That's what oh. I was doing. Let's, let's, oh. let's, let's, yeah, let's, 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 look, look, the Porzingis trade, we still got to give it some time because um, he like that fit. Him and Dallas is not necessarily working out the way they thought either so far. Well, he and had, that first round pick, that first round pick that could be a lottery pick this year. I know, I know, I know. But it's not. It's actually not. It's not Porzingis playing badly. He he. When he's been on the court, he's actually played really good. It's just he missed more time on the court. He looked really great last year before the playoffs. It's always my concern with him. I've I've just never been that high on him. It's like a I'm still just a I'm still rooting for KP. I, I, I'm high on I like him as a functional piece next to Luca, but I still think that like this is not a long-term thing with him. It, look, it might not be and and look, the Mavericks this year, the reason they're in a position they're in, we'll get back to the trade. They've been ravaged by COVID. That's hurt that team a lot, the way it's hurt the Miami Heat. Uh, although I think their culture, the Heat culture and structure is a little bit better to overcome this, in my opinion. But then I think it is for the Mavericks because there's a whole bunch of stuff around it now. Luke is being thrust into a leadership role, which he never has been thrust into, and he needs to step up in that, yada, 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 and all this stuff. You know who they miss? You know who they miss? Seth Curry? My boy. J.J. Barea. Uh, That's who Yo, is. you know what's funny? I hadn't quite thought about it from a leadership standpoint, and I, maybe they should have kept him on the bench. Maybe he's somebody that could have got him through these turbulent times. Maybe the leader from Puerto Rico could have done some things to help the team. But, you know, oh well. But back to this trade. What did you think of this, what did you think of this trade for the Knicks uh, getting Derrick Rose? I think it's interesting. My concern with initially to let everybody know was I didn't want minutes taken away from Emmanuel quickly, who's been tremendous, who's played really good this year. Brian, you wrote about this on Deadspin talking about this exact point that this is good if they don't, if it doesn't hinder Emmanuel quickly. Now, with that being said, and I didn't see all of this in your piece, but the Knicks now have sort of a logjam with the guards. You got Austin Rivers, you got Alfred Payton, you got Emmanuel Quickly, you have Derrick Rose. Likely your mindset would think that one of those guys is going to get traded, most likely probably Payton or Rivers. I actually think Rivers hasn't played well in the last couple of weeks. Could be trending more to him than Payton, but we'll see. I just don't want the minutes to be taken away from Quickly because Quickly's been good, man. He's been good. I think that with Alfred Payton, so this is basically where I'm at with this. I think this is a good trade on the surface. Like, in terms of Dennis Smith Jr., you're giving up somebody who's really in the G League now or is a G League-level player trying to work his way back, whatever that is. 
Um, and he's in the final year of a contract. Uh, Derrick Rose is also in the final year of a contract. He's only making about $7.5 million, maybe a tad more than that. So it's just Dennis Smith and a second-round pick for Derrick Rose. To me, that's a trade where, yes, you get better as a team. It reunites Tom Thibodeau with one of the, his favorite players that he's ever coached. Jimmy Butler joked about him getting the band back together. Nick fans immediately started throwing together trade packages to get Jimmy Butler. That's not going to fucking happen. But, you know. That would be, uh, and that would also be fairly interesting because they're still technically paying Joe Kim Noah. But I think that when it comes to this trade, when it comes to this trade, like Derrick Rose is legitimately, I think, a good addition. I think he is your best point guard option immediately in terms of being the best player right now. Emmanuel quickly is a rookie, up and down, needs to develop. But the main thing for me is like you need to still develop Emmanuel quickly, give him 20 to 25 minutes a night. Right now, he's eating, he's, only averaging 19, you know, just get that up a little bit just to see what you have in him. Some nights you'll play him less because he doesn't have it, but then some nights you have to write him out. He's already had four games of 23 points or more. He's already had eight games of 16 points or more. Like this is somebody who you've seen flashes in his first couple months in the league, really. And he missed a few games too because of injury. He's been good so far, largely speaking. Like he's been like, I don't remember the last time the Knicks drafted a guard and then right away, like, he had this much excitement around him since Tim Hardaway Jr. in the beginning. Maybe Landry Fields, if you want to go oh, a little God, further back. Oh, man. I had it, man. You know, I would, Emmanuel quickly is going to be better than Landry Fields. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I feel comfortable saying that. But, like, when it comes to the actual trade, I think it's good. Now, you need to move Austin Rivers or Alfred Payton. Alfred Payton, statistically, is probably the least, uh, is probably the least productive starting point guard in the NBA. He averages about 11, 4, and 4. He plays like 28, 29 minutes a game. He uh, is fourth in the team in minutes. Not very good so far this year. I mean, he's had some good moments or whatever the case may be, but Nick fans want to get rid of him because they want to see quickly. Austin Rivers is averaging 8, 2, and 2 in 23 minutes for his career. It's about 9, 3, and 2 in 24 minutes. Austin Rivers is just being Austin Rivers. You know what I mean? Like, if right. you look at the numbers, it's remarkably the same. I think that, you know, you can get more out of Alfred Payton in a trade. So I would try to get Alfred Payton because I, I actually think he'd be better served as a backup on a contender. I think he would. Um, I, yeah, I, on I think team. there's value for him in that. I think there's value. I do agree. As a backup on a good team. Yeah. I do think. And with Rose, you know, he's 32, like you said. He's an expiring contract, $7.5 million this year, free agent in the offseason. He's, he's played solidly for Detroit. He's actually played solidly the last Yo. three years and has been relatively so healthy. So that's the thing. He, other than that 17-18 season where he spent some time with the Cavs and then went to Minnesota, right. he was actually pretty good in the playoffs that year with Timberwolves, with Jimmy Butler, coincidentally, right? Like, and with Tom Thibodeau. That's I think Tom Thibodeau yeah. was coaching yeah. that team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, other than that, post-ACL, 16 till now, these last five years, he's been good. Like, yeah. If you look at his numbers, field goal percentage is very high, 47-48% every year. Average 18 points a game the last two seasons, a little bit down now because, you know, Detroit's doing some other things or trying some other things out. Like, it's a weird situation for a veteran like Derrick Rose to be in. He should be on the team like the Knicks. It's actually, like, younger, scrappy, but also, like, they can make the playoffs. Like, this would be a good spot for him, maybe rejuvenate him a little bit. But this is a guy who was six in sixth man of the year voting two years ago, seventh last year. Like, I actually think, and I actually think with the Knicks, like, he should be your starting point guard after you, like, once this trade is complete, and it is because it's official now, probably he might sit tomorrow against the Heat, but I think that he should eventually be your starting point guard, or if not, you're one of your first guys off the bench. I don't have a problem with that as long as he's splitting the time with quickly, and quickly, like you said, is still getting that 20 to 25 minutes a night. This is Rose, an average of 14 points, four assists, and 43% shooting. When Brian said his numbers, been higher than that. They've been doing some weird things with Detroit where they were playing him a lot off the ball. You probably won't see that here with the Knicks. Here's Jason Plumley, Jeremy Grant. Man. Like, where's he going to drive to? Right. You know what I mean? Here he's going to have a little bit better spacing, even with guys like, who I know Knicks fans don't love, but Reggie Bullock and Alec Burks, who's actually been, Alec Burks, who's actually been shooting pretty well since he's come back from injury. This is the other thing, too. A lot of times late in the game, if you've been watching the Knicks, who've been playing well and playing hard, uh, Julius Randle, is the guy having the ball a lot of the times. And Julius Randle has been better with the ball and has made better decisions. But here's another guy who you can trust with the ball in his hands, who can penetrate, which is the key for when teams play zone against the Knicks. They have nobody who can attack it, really, with the shot. 
But if you can even try to penetrate against the zone, that can help. And they need that badly. And and yeah, quickly is still good point. Quickly still figuring that out. How, what to do with his decision making once he gets in the paint. He gets in the paint decently, and he is a really good floater. But he's figuring it out. But Rose, I think, can also help quickly a lot with the decision making, showing him how to look for guys. I expect Rose's assist to go up. It's going to make life easier for Mitch Robinson. It's going to make life easier a little bit for Julius Randle. And Julius Randle can now, maybe his minutes can come down, and you don't have to have him doing as much as he's doing on offense while asking him to do much of the same stuff on defense, and he's now not as exhausted. So I like this trade. This isn't about some Knicks fans are going to be cynical, like, oh, well, this is going to win us a championship. Like, what are y'all talking about? Knicks are going to win a championship this year. The Knicks are 11-14. and They're where they're well ahead of schedule. Even if somebody told you to bet the over on Knicks wins at 21 and a half this year, they're way ahead of schedule in terms of what they're doing. And like my friend said to me, you turned my thought on this trade around. My boy was like, look, he always has this mantra. Yeah, you want to rebuild. Yeah, you want to develop. And it's nice to stack picks and people think all that stuff is good. But when you can get young guys that you're developing playoff experience, and you're not looking to waste those years in that time, that's a good thing. Look at Miami last year. The experience that Bam Adebayo got, the experience that Tyler Hero got, young players getting in the playoffs, and they have their, their culture that they've built. The Knicks because of veterans up. like Jimmy Butler, right. Paul Drogic, et cetera, right. et cetera. And that stuff is going to, if the Knicks can get into the playoffs, or they get into the play, and whatever it is, they'll be playing meaningful games at the end of the season. That matters. For R.J. Barrett. Barrett. That matters for Julius Randle. matters for Mr. Robinson. It's a great point because, like, what you don't want is a team just full of young dudes because then you have the Sixers who were tanking and, like, we're still seeing them struggle to really build, like, a winning culture there. They're better this year in the regular season so far, but as good as they've been in terms of regular season basketball, they were at their best when Jimmy Butler was there to help guide Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, and some of the younger players on their team. Excuse me. And when it comes to the Knicks, even though you're this younger team, you still want veterans in there to complement some of their guys. Like Julius Randle, I guess at this point is a veteran, but he's still young. He's like 25 years old. Derek, yeah, Derek Rose has seen a lot. Like we know, we know what he's done. He's been in a lot of playoff games. Like that stuff matters to get him in your locker room. Like those veteran presences matters. I'm glad you mentioned RJ Barrett because I think this will help him also. The problem with Alfred Payton is because. He only one. He only averages four assists a game. Julius Randle is the best passer on the team right now. As your point guard, next to a shooting guard, you're trying to develop. You need somebody who is a better playmaker for him, a better passer for him. Derrick Rose is still like a top thirty pass NBA. If you look at like per thirty six assists, if you're looking at playmaking ability, he's still a top 30, 35 NBA playmaker. You know what I mean? That means if he's on your team, he's one of your best two, three, maybe your best playmaker, period. Right now, it's going to be between him and Julius Randle, right? And I would give Derrick Rose the edge, historically at least. That's going to help R.J. Barrett hopefully develop that three-point shot that he struggled with this season. Even though he's done a better job of finding his angles and scoring on the inside, he needs to develop that three-point shot. Derrick Rose being able to penetrate and kick, that should help him get open looks at the three-point line. And that's what you need to accelerate his development because R.J. Barrett's showing you some good things this year. The big thing, though, is that three-point shot. I think Rose is going to help their bottom line more than Dennis Smith would, more than Austin Rivers would, and more than Alfred Payton would. And I think it's as simple as that. Yeah. I, I, look, I, I, I think this is a good trade. I think the Knicks are – it shows me the Knicks are thinking about getting these young guys that experience in the big game and fortifying their culture. These guys on the team, not maybe, you know, even Taj Gibson, not to get excited about, but Taj Gibson, even him and, and Rose in the locker room, those are guys who are extensions of Tom Thibodeau. And that matters for these young guys as you try to set a culture. And look, I like where the Knicks are headed. I like the moves they've been making. I like how the front office is thinking about these things and trying to develop and also win. And that's huge in building a culture. And maybe, just maybe, the Knicks have turned a corner. All right, one time for your mind this week. Got some interesting stuff. I got something that definitely ties into Black History Month that is sure to piss some people off in a state that I know Brian has no desire to ever live in. <sighs> Brian, what do you have for one time for your mind this week? Yeah, I'll start just uh, the passing of Pedro Gomez, who I hadn't realized until. I really thought about it, 
he was probably the first Latino I ever saw reporting on ESPN consistently. Mm. If I really sat and thought about it, which is crazy to think about. You know mm. what I mean? Especially, I think, I think you're right too, even for me. ESPN period, like Deportes, like I really thought back, not not Deportes obviously because this is different, but I'm talking about mainline, right, mainstream, you. like ESPN one, like not on Deportes was the point. He was the first guy that I saw there consistently. And it mattered that visibility matters for reasons that we've talked about on this podcast a ton that I've now written about a ton. Like just the English speaking Latino, it shows that people don't have to just speak Spanish to get to certain platforms. It shows that we don't have to be marginalized within our own communities. We can branch out to other people. With Pedro Gomez, that was also important because like he was talking about baseball at a time where baseball was still baseball, still the America's pastime. In 2003, we were still obsessed about home runs. Like, the Mitchell Report hadn't dropped yet. You know what I mean? Like, it was a different time for baseball. Like, the the Marlins and the Cubs were there in the NLCS. He was covering it. Like, this was somebody who, I mean, and, you know, it was unexpected. It was weird. It was eerie. But you also saw the outpouring of love on Twitter. A lot of people shared some really cool stories for a man that just seemed to be universally uh, liked. Of uh, Somebody who, you know, for some of us Latinos looked like he could be our extended uncle. You know what I mean? So it was cool to see that somebody like that on TV doing these reports. You could see the passion and the things he was doing. He was always one of my favorite voices in baseball, one of my favorite reporters, somebody who I enjoyed seeing on SportsCenter, on Baseball Tonight, wherever the case may be. I actually thought of him not that long ago, probably when I was putting that Latinos piece together on uh, Deadspin. I probably thought about him in the midst of doing that after I talked to like Jessica Mendoza, who actually tweeted out one of the tweets that I really liked about him. But yeah, it was sad. Uh, but like all the things he accomplished... I think the main thing to sort of focus on is like, yo, he was a pioneer in a way that I don't know if people understood. And that's why I wanted mm. to write about it. He's a pioneer in a way like for my generation, probably the first Latino we saw on ESPN consistently speaking both English and Spanish. But like being able to report in that way amongst all the white people that they've had reporting uh, along the way in a sport like baseball, which a lot of my generation grew up playing because baseball still was baseball back then in a way that it's a little bit different now. So salute to Pedro Gomez, who had a great you know career, great life, um, leaves behind a family, including a son who's currently a pitcher in the Red Sox organization, Rio. So hopefully he does well. And I hope that people really recognize like what he did and the things he contributed um, just like I hope the same for, you know, people who have honored Sekou Smith and realized things that he did as well. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it like it's 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 a weird time right now and we don't know the cause and frankly I don't I don't need to know the cause. I just know oh, that, that like he needs to be respected for the things he did because he was he was great at what he did and very honorable. Yeah, and that cause was between him and his family and I, I, I definitely echo all that and I think at a time when we're going through Black History Month and a lot of times we look and think about people who are the first to do something across all cultures, I, I think, and I said this to somebody with a piece I was working on for work uh, that I actually have to finish when we're done with this podcast, you know, I was interviewing somebody who is the first to do something in a lot of things in their field. And I said to them, a lot of times we talk about it and don't recognize like, yo, why did it take this long? You know, and I hadn't thought about it with Pedro Gomez, but I do believe he was the first Latino reporter I saw in ESPN, at least, you know, look, and I'm a little bit older than Brian. So that and tells he got there in 2003. Three. That like, tells you, that tells, yeah, that tells you a lot. You know, 2003, I'm in college, um, my junior college, and that, that should tell you a lot in terms of that and still how far we have to go. Um, I don't have a, a Pedro Gomez story, but I, I, I had the opportunity to, to meet him was introduced a couple of times doing some work with uh, the great Marley Rivera. So, you know, he seemed like a nice man and what he did and how he did his work. I always respected it. So, you know, salute man, salute, salute to him for being a trailblazer in that way. We have to salute and, and give flowers to our trailblazers, not just when they pass, but while they're alive, because those people that paved the way for other people, it matters, you know? So whenever I see uh, anyone who's black Brown, you know, my Latino brothers and sisters that have been pioneers for this, um, you know, it 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 matters. And I, I can see what he meant to the baseball community, but specifically the Latino community here. And and you know, definitely sad, man. Sad to sad to see that. But 
I'm grateful for the mark he left, just as anybody else who's done anything great on the world of what he did and how he'll inspire many to go. Now, it's tough that we're going to go from what Brian just said and talk about this to talking about what I like to call pure nonsense. Pure nonsense. I got to thank my man, uh, Matthew Nelson, one of my uh, class, I was a classmate, but he went to school with me at Pitt. He was a couple years younger than me. And I saw him tweet out this article. The, the announcer? No, he's not the announcer. No, 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 no. Oh, 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 oh. I'm like, just, just, just a, just I'm a like, guy. I no, the no, no. My man Matt Nelson. He listens to the podcast. He's a fan of the podcast. Uh, shout, shout out, out to, to him. Matt. Shout out to Matt. Matt tweeted this article uh, sometime. It was late last week. And it was on. It was on the sixth. I saw this, and I saw the headline, and I was like, "What?" And this also ties to sports because a, a athlete who plays in this state has then tweeted out the article. Now, as soon as I say. The state, Brian's going to be like, and then when I finish the rest of the sentence that's in this headline, Brian's probably going to be like, no, I, I can I can see this. Am I, am I allowed to guess? Go ahead. Guess the state. Go ahead. Massachusetts. No, not Massachusetts. Okay. I you, get two, guess. you get two more guesses. I'll give you two more, two more guesses. guesses. Massachusetts was my first. Florida? <laughs> Florida, it is not. Texas. No. Good guesses, but no. Huh. I'll just start with the headline, guys. Utah school. Oh, 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 yeah, 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 yeah. I know this story, actually. Uh-huh. I do know this story. You do know the story. Because someone, someone, someone on our side wrote, this, wrote about this as well. <laughs> Utah school will no longer allow parents to, will no longer allow parents to opt students out of Black History Month curriculum. Now, this has been updated because the Utah school had allowed parents to opt out of the Black History Month curriculum. So they just changed the headline. This has been updated because of all the backlash this got, including player who plays in the state of Utah, Donovan Mitchell, who we like. Donovan Mitchell, a quote, tweeted this. This was on uh, Saturday. He said, I don't know where to start. Racism is taught. And the fact that kids are being told to, uh, by their own parents to not learn about black history and black excellence is sickening and sad. And this is just part of the problem. So here was my thing. And there's a lot of questions I have around this. To the people in the great, well, I won't say great state of Utah. We got to stop saying that. Every state's not great, clearly. Um, to the people in Utah, if you want to opt your, your kids out of Black History Month, my question for you is why? Why? Why would you want to do that? I would never I think, have. I think you know the answer. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> but hold on. Latino history is American history. Asian yeah. history in America is American history, yeah. right? Black history in America is part of American history. At no point would any of these people ever sit there and say, oh, you know what I want my class to want my child to opt out of? American history. Oh, so when you start learning about what the black people did to contribute to society and how uncomfortable some of that might make you feel because you might realize that they built all this shit, then you want your kids to opt out? What? Like, and charter school in Utah. Yeah. How are you giving the people the option to do this? <laughs> Where do you draw the line here? That's my question to the charter school. Okay, where are you going to draw the line? If a kid said, hey, man, I want to opt out of gym and don't care about my physical education health, was that fine? Can you opt out of any social studies? Can you opt out of chemistry? Can you opt out of biology because you don't want to learn about reproductive systems? Although people have already done that ridiculously. How is this crazy? This was Maria Montessori Academy in Utah. And the director now said in a statement that he shared with the Hill, which is who had initially had this article, that all school families are now participating in the curriculum. That going forward, it would not allow parents to opt out of lesson plans. See, this is why I think statements like these are whack and why, why you should have press there and they should be able to talk to the director whose name is Micah Hirokawa. little ethnicity behind you, Michael Hirokawa, but you were letting people opt out of black history. Hmm. Somebody needs to ask this man, why was it okay to do this in the first place? Why do you, and what, what changed? We know what changed. You got a lot of yeah, backlash. Right, right, right. Especially when someone like Donovan Mitchell comes out and criticizes you. We know this is not good. 
Now we'll you want now is now is cold. I'm, I'm gonna let you speak on it, Brian, too, because this all of us minorities should speak on this and be annoyed about this. I'd be annoyed yeah. if this was Latino, his you know, like when it's Latino Hispanic Heritage Month. I'd be annoyed about this too, just as much as I am now. There was also a quote he said on the Facebook group: "Celebrating Black History Month is part of our tradition." Clearly, it wasn't. Clearly, it wasn't. How can you even say this now? Clearly, it wasn't. You were willing to let people opt out. It is not part of our in the school community that talking about tradition. What are you talking about? I w- let me tell you something. My daughter was in this school. We would not be living in Utah. That's a whole other story. But if my daughter was in any school, if my daughter was in any school that did this, especially as a black father, she would yeah. be out of that school so quick. And it's a Montessori school. My daughter did attend a Montessori school. You're paying for that school just so people know. My yeah. daughter would be out of there so quick if there was some bullshit like that. That's what it is. I'm calling it bullshit. That's what it yeah. is. We regret that after receiving a request, an opt-out form was sent out concerning activities planned during the month of the celebration. We are grateful that families that initially had questions and concerns have only come to the table to resolve any differences. No, 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 no. That's not what that was. That means the black people, the two of them that were in that school, probably pressed you on this. And then you've got all this bad public backlash. And then you decided to change. In the future, we will handle all parental concerns on an individual basis. You know why they did this, people? Brian, you know why they did this? Why? Because it was Utah and they thought they could get away (laughs) with it. That's why. I was hoping you said it, not me. Literally, the only thing I have to say about this, literally, the only thing I have to say about this, by all accounts, Donovan Mitchell is one of the nicest guys in the NBA. Like, everyone says this. He's, you know, sweet, all these things. We got to get him out of Utah. That's it. That's all I got to say. Like, we literally have to figure out. Sweet Donovan Mitchell? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, he might like like it there for all we know. He does, by all accounts, but like, so? We got to look out for him. You know, we got to look out for what's best for him. And he needs to get out of Utah. You know what I mean? Like, the best, the best, it's, it's tough. It's tough to be in a city like Utah, be Donovan Mitchell, be the best player there. It's tough. I want to, I, I do have some more to say before we wrap this up really quick about the director. <laughs> no, because I think people need to know these facts. Hirokawa, the director, wrote that he reluctantly, reluctantly, quote, sent a letter to families stating that administrators were allowing them to, quote, exercise their civil rights. How interesting of using the term civil rights here. To not participate in Black History Month at the school. Hirokoa said in in the post that, quote, a few families, I wonder how they looked, had not asked not to participate in the curriculum, though we declined to tell the standard examiner the exact number of parents who had contacted the school or the reasons they gave for making the request. Now, that would be interesting. I'd like to know if the parents, when they said they wanted their kids to opt out, if they actually said what the reasons were. Like, were they just like, nah, we don't want our people learning about what black people did for this country. We don't want to know about that at all. We have no idea at all whatsoever. The the public charter school director added that the demand from the parents deeply saddens and disappoints me. But you allowed them to do this. So I don't understand it. Quote, "We we should not shield our children from the history of our nation. The mistreatment of his African-American citizens and the bravery of civil rights leaders, which should educate them about it. Oh, there he goes using civil rights again. How interesting. Yeah. I am just disgusted with this. There were parents who, oh, yes. And just for clarity, because I don't want people to think I was making fun of Mr. Hirokoa. I kind of made an assumption about what his ethnicity would be, and he was of ethnic nature. He is of Asian descent and noted that his great-grandparents were sent to a Japanese internment camp and told the outlet, uh, The Hill, that he believes a lot of value is in teaching our children about mistreatment challenges and obstacles that people of color in our nation have had to endure and what we can do to ensure that such wrong things don't continue. Brian, Brian, and I would say this about anybody, Mr. Hirokoa, I understand you are now doing damage control. I get it. I get it. I get it. I really do. But, bruh, you have to know better. <laughs> Your great grandparents were in internment camp. A lot of our Japanese and Asian American brothers and sisters have faced that even in this nation. You should know better. But you know what? That's rooted in, and all this stuff is rooted in here. And I'll say this in Black History Month: anti 
blackness. Blackness. That's yep. what it's rooted in. And you know what? We ain't got time for the bullshit. By the way, uh, not to not to turn this into a plug, but anti-blackness is in 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 other communities is something that is touched upon in my fiction novel that's coming out uh, in the spring. Bro, something bro, that is touched bro. upon. You plug away. We just talked about people doing bullshit. You plug away. You know away. what I mean? Like I'm just saying, like, because there, there's a lot there, and I'm like, that's one of the things, like, because look, this is something that Steven Espinoza and Julio Ricardo Varela brought up on uh, the piece that I did. Is like, yes, there is a history of anti-blackness in shit, not just the Latino community, but like any, like even in the black community. Even, I was going to say, even in the black community, but they, but they but they said, like, specifically in the Latino community, and Steven Espinoza brought up a great point where, like, there is that in the Latino community in some, especially older generations, but, like, it doesn't make sense because the point, it's the same point that I always make, and him being from Texas would understand this, we grow up, like, we have the same sort of issues with policing. You know what I mean? Because, especially in a city like New York, which you and I are from, you know the schools that you went to, all your friends early on, probably all black and Latino. It was the way for me for a long time. It still is to this day. It still is to this day. Just about a lot of the people. You know what I mean? Like, if we just grow up, like, Brooklyn, Harlem, Queens, doesn't matter. Like, that's just what it is. So, yeah, this is obviously rooted in anti-blackness, which is something that, like, Asian Americans will have a better uh, description of what that is in their history than I would. Mm -hmm. But I know that that's something that's there, too. And as you mentioned, that's even among some black people, because we've seen the performative racism from black Republicans in particular and parlay that onto profit and visibility in ways that they weren't able to capitalize on before, because now we're in the times that we're in. Yeah, but that ain't going to get me down. Happy ha- Happy Black History Month. Keep it a blackity black, y'all. That is yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> that is it for episode 165 of the A Hard to Tell podcast. Once again, shout out to the beautiful nation of Grenada. Happy 47th Independence Day uh, to the country, the land where my parents were born and I have so much respect and heritage for. Uh, I've been enjoying Black History Month. We plan to have some other fun discussions uh, throughout the month. We also have planned to have that discussion we told you about, about The Last of Us, Brian's gaming experience, my gaming experience, and how we think that has shaped and push forward video game storytelling. Brian and I have a lot to talk about with that. Yeah. We've had a lot of good discussions off the podcast about this that I think will be fun and interesting for a podcast um, around this game. And I'm really, in that podcast, I really think when people see, I'm really intrigued to pick Brian's vein a lot on this because yeah. of the way he's played the game back to back. So we will have that more coming up for you this month. But that is it for episode 165 of the Ain't Hard to Tell podcast. He's Brian Fonseca. I'm Dexter Henry. Until next time, y'all. Stay, stay safe in Utah and make sure your kids are learning the back history. Till that time, peace.